Hello listeners, you're listening to Queering Me Out on the 3CR Community Radio. It's a sometimes sunny but a bit of a partly cloudy day, which is not my liking really. Um, but first, we're gonna, I'm going to start off by acknowledging um, the country in which we're broadcasting over. So I'm broadcasting from the land of the Kulin Nations. This land has been stolen and um, Indigenous sovereignty has never been ceded, and I'd like to pay my respects to Indigenous elders past, present, and future, and extend that respect to sister girls, brother boys, any Indigenous queers and queer and trans people listening, and acknowledge as a white person I benefit from the settler colonialism that has created this structure. Um, I'm joined in the studio today with Chi Tran. Chi Tran is a writer and artist based in um, Melbourne. Hello, Chi. Hi. How are you today? Good, thank you. How are you? Um, so yeah, I've, I was just at the tran, like a performance night the last few nights called Trans Possible. So I'm a bit like zoned out after performing mm-hmm. those two nights, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been zoned out as well? Very zoned out, but not for any good reason like that. <laughs> mm. Well, I think you did launch your work, which we'll now be discussing. So your work, um, yeah. Do you want to, how about we go to, do you want to read your work or should we do a question? Yeah, I can start off with um, a poem. So what's the title of the title? Oh, okay, of so the poem of, and yeah, the work. Well, so the work that I launched at West Space um, through Incendium Radical Library. Can't remember how long ago it was now. Maybe two or three weeks. Um, it's called "I Occupy Space," which is to say, I am always grieving, and it's just like a very small text um, where I play with poetic form. To explore identity and prosody, which and prosody is like patterns in poetic rhythm and um, and language. Um, so yeah, I might read something that I wrote in conjunction, like as a bit of an introduction for the work, instead of something from the work, because I think it contextualizes it um, a bit more and is maybe mm. a bit yeah less dense because I think my poetry can be a bit like Mm. dense and weird sometimes so yeah the history of an origin rises and sets in rhythm with the sun consecutive revelations are what constitute who I am but the arrival to being is always deferred and although there is no hierarchy of oppressions I still walk less than 7,000 kilometers every day I see space as active, therefore things around me are always dying. And although I relate to objects through a logic of universalism, I understand that universalism is founded on ancient and false pretenses. The intention of my poetry is not a being, but a doing. And I am concerned with being intentional, because encountering purpose is what allows me to be at my most embodied. 
I resemble a system of water, which is to say, I move in cycles and by diagrams. I contain density, and so my shadows make me appear longer than I am. And I am an agent of a singular language, which is to say, I speak, I receive, and I detect only what I can touch. Plurality and rigor are not dichotomous with one another, which is to say they are not in opposition with one another. So I'd like to ask, can I propose my being as upheaval, my being as eruption, as unassuming movement, my being as grief, as voluntary labour, as a selfhood that is occupied but decentered, as function, as temporary feeling, and as force, as placing myself quietly but not shyly, as the safety with indifference, as a condition of multiplicity, as a state refined, and as an investment in futurity. That's it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, this, it's just so dense. It's yeah you put so much in your work <laughs> um so yeah so in thinking about um what's a good verb i guess um, what's this sort of like if you like walking through like this thickness sort of like walking through mud mm-hmm. you kind of like it's not dredging, but I'm just I'm thinking of something about yeah, I don't know. Um tr- trying to un- unpack things, I guess. Yeah. So so I was thinking of asking a few questions mm-hmm. and um so the first one is about um when you write about occupation occupying spaces while constantly grieving. Um, could you tell us more about the connections between space and grief for you? I'm sorry, I think I just the question just got cut off, cut off a little bit on my thing. Okay. But, um, yeah. Yeah, so the connection between occupying space and grieving. Um it's actually interesting because the night before I was initially supposed to do this with you. Yeah. Um, my grandmother died. And so, um, like, as soon as that happened, my relationship with the term and the concept of grief completely changed. Um, so I just want to acknowledge that. But within the context mm. of, like, writing this work, um, I guess I just think about my occupying space, my occupying a very specific space, um, in terms of like how I, you know, identify, you know, being a personal color, like queer or whatever, mm. um, it sets these very specific boundaries of a domain that I live within. And within that, I think it kind of creates a sense of loss for me. And I don't really know how to explain it because I don't really understand it myself yet, which is mm. why I write about it because I often feel this kind of weird sense of loss, um, most of the time, if not all the time, and I don't know, I don't know if it's like, you know, an existential thing or, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, not a material loss, but 
there's something within me that I feel like I haven't been able to gain access to yet. And I guess that's why I say I'm always grieving. Hmm. Well, cool. Thank, <laughs> thanks for your answer. Hmm. I think... Do you want to read something? <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so the first poem in the text is... It's numbered, so it's this is 1.1. 1. 1. 1. Memory, like decomposition, is a process accelerated by warmth. Just let me know when to stop. I place a ball of wax on my tongue, close my mouth, a soft crumble. Someone writes the word controversial, but I think they might mean cruel. Then blood and pleasure are once again made normal, and I remember what I had been told to forget. The ubiquitous need for temporary measures is a matter of survival. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay. Hello, listeners. You're back on Queer in 3CR Community Radio, and I'm here in the studio with Xi Tran. Um, so, and that, sh- that, sh- that song we just played was Conopin by Star Armasu. So back to where we were talking about um, occupying space and grieving. And um, so another question um, I have, and also another presenter who contributed to his questions had, was about what it meant for you to live as a a person in a diaspora. would you like to go on? Yeah. Um, I think lately um, it's being a person, living as a person in the diaspora means being a settler. Um, yeah, I've been thinking more about that, um, thinking more about my privilege as um, a non-white settler, more so than... Um, more so than the kind of feelings of my own displacement or whatever um, as a as a diasporic diasporic person, um, yeah, just thinking a lot about um, settler colonial privilege and my place within that, and um, it also means plurality, um, and it means for me like decentering any kind of idea or search for home like I think I when I used to think about diaspora maybe like a few years ago I was always like um I don't know this idea of like finding your actual home or your act like one culture that you fit into was really important to me and now less so um and also in terms of this question I think um, a few days ago, I read an interview with, you know, Tang Hung, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Senya, yeah. yeah. Um, an interview with um, in Liminal Magazine about being mm-hmm. Asian Australian. And I think they asked a question like, um, you know, what does it mean for you to be Asian Australian? And um, she answered, it means to completely shake and rattle the center of our geographical imagination so that when we talk of being Asian Australian, we are encompassing not only East Asians, but also Central Asians, South Asians, 
West Asians, Pacific Islanders, mixed race Asians, black Asians and indigenous Asians. And I think that is an incredibly important point and crucial to um, crucial to any kind of dialogue around diaspora or um, settler colonial privilege, decolonization, I think, as an Asian person. That, that's mm. for me is really important. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for your answer. Okay. That was really good. S- so following, up, not, following on from that, this is another question that mm-hmm. um, we, we had. Um, is there a sense of fracturing of time and space by belonging in a diaspora? Um, is there a sense of fracturing time and space by belonging in the diaspora? Yes, always. <laughs> but I, I, I wonder if that's, you know, people who aren't necessarily from diasporic backgrounds experience that as well. Um, but yes, definitely, I think for me, you know, belonging in the diaspora Everything is fractured. Um, I think it fractures the way I occupy space and the way I occupy time. Um, Yeah, I don't know, going back to that thing of occupying space and kind of always grieving. I think there's this, because everything feels a bit fractured a lot of the time, um, maybe that's where the sense of loss comes from. But yeah, I'm not sure. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I can't. Mm. Yeah, there's like unknowns of like important places to like be. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Thanks for that answer. So the next one we have is um more about things being multiple in your work and how they relate to identity. What and what does this the kind of multiplicity in your work mean to you? Um, I think multiplicity is important to me because I don't like the idea of um, a piece of writing of mine to be seen as meaning just one thing. I think I want whatever I produce um, to reflect how nuanced my thought processes are and how I think a lot of different things at the same time. <laughs> I don't know, that might seem like a very like obvious point, but mm. it's hard. I don't know how to, it's, it's very hard. I find it very hard to talk about like my writing and my practice, yeah. but I think multiplicity, multiplicity. Um, can I reference like this? Do you know who, um, I don't know if you know Grace Dunham, Mm. they're um, they're like a writer and activist um, from New York Um, and I remember they posted, there was this caption they posted on Instagram once and it was about their relationship with multiplicity and it really um, resonated with me. Um, They said, I haven't always believed what I believe now, I believe many things at once. My multiplicity is not contradiction. People's love and patience gave me room to move. Let people change. And I think, yeah, I think that's that's a good answer. 
Mm. <laughs> that is very well put, Annette. Yeah. Lee's all sorts of more questions. Um, yeah. So that's... So that that what work is that person? Oh, Grace Dunham. So um, they help start uh, support support FM. Have you? I might no, just, I haven't heard of that. Okay. Um. So support FM. It's. I might just pull up the thing and then read from it because I don't want to um. Get, yeah. Get the description <laughs> wrong. So. It's basically a crowdfunding tool to support trans and gender non-conforming people in jail, prison and detention. And it's, um, I think it's American-based. Um, and it's to build... So basically they have this online donation kind of um, system to build a secure online platform where friends, families and allies can raise and distribute bail and bond money for trans and GNC people. Um, and Support FM is an intermediary um, connecting a network of supporters to grassroots, trans, and GNC-led organisations that run community bail funds. So, yeah, that's what Grace Dunham. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So I think we go to the next question. So, sure. <laughs> so next one's on repetition and how your work has a lot of repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, and what role does repetition play in your work? Um, I think I repeat myself in order to understand myself because <laughs> a lot of the times, mm. you know, I think a lot of people have come up to me about this work and about other stuff that I've written and said that they found it um, a bit dense and like quite hard to understand, especially when I read out my poetry, like when I'm when they've seen me perform it but they haven't they aren't able to like read it on the page to themselves and Mm. I totally understand because it can like I'm very I'm highly influenced by like critical theory so I think sometimes my work can be a bit like um very theoretical in terms of its Mm. tone um so going back to repetition that's kind of why I repeat myself like yes as a means of understanding myself but it's also a tool for me to um, emphasize certain things, which I think is kind of like, it's a pretty basic concept in terms of repeating something in order to emphasize it. So I guess that's what I, that's why I use it in my poetry. Um, and I think I'm not a very, I'm not a very like strong creative writer in a lot of senses, I feel like. Um, I mm, think. What? You're not a strong creative writer? <laughs> I just, I feel like um, I I write like a very specific kind of poetry and I think a lot, to a lot of people it wouldn't even like register as poetry. Um, and that's why I choose to play with form and repetition because I think in terms of content, my, yeah, I don't know. I, I still have a lot to work on. <laughs> yeah, but I mean... <laughs> Like, it's quite... A lot of the images you use are quite evocative. Like, I can be fog, I grow with water. Like, there's a lot of creativity in it, even if it isn't doesn't get read as, like, conventionally that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
So we're going to come back to the... So I'm Iris and I'm joined in the studio with Chi Tran. And we're going to go back to the interview after some announcements. From the American Empire, trying to keep alive the legacy of John Coltrane, Curtis Mayfield, Nina Simone. And I am so glad you are listening to 3CR because 3CR is a force for good. It's telling the truth and allows you both to laugh, not at, but with others. Oh, what a grand radio station. Subscribe to your award-winning independent community radio, bringing you coverage of community issues and events. This is Beta Base Camp. Welcome to the Little Red Tulangi Treehouse. As you said, I'm down at the East West Tunnel ticket, as it usually does, starts at 5.30am. The Lincoln Melbourne Authority have come here in the middle of the night and set up another drill rig here on Gold Street. The police were pretty keen to defend that with all their resources this morning. And I think for Australians, in order to know ourselves, really fully know ourselves, in order to mature, we need to understand Aboriginal culture. We need to embrace it and realise that in coming here, you're now part of the longest continuing culture in the world. We need your support. Subscribe today. Call 9419 now. Okay, you're back with myself, Iris, and Chi Tran in the studio on Queering the Air. Um, and we're just discussing their work. Um, I occupy space, which is to say I am always grieving. And and before we we're just talking about repetition. And so now I'm going to move on to a different question. So I read an article you wrote in the Suburban Re- Review about the influence of Trinity Min. Minhart mm-hmm. in her book. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just in her book, Woman, Native, and Other. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I'm wondering, yeah, from that, what art, what writers, poets, and artists influence your work, and um, and that you enjoy. Um, in terms of writers, right now. Um, right now I'm in the middle of um, interviewing a poet named May May Bersenbruja and she um, writes a lot of yeah so her poetry um, is quite it's very influenced by theory as well and she's definitely been a huge influence on me in terms of um, how her poetry is um formatted and how like her actual practice her actual writing practice and she is american based um and she has chinese and dutch origins um so she's written a lot of poetry around ideas of identity as well um who else i really like uh hannah black um who's a writer and artist she recently wrote uh, and an article for Art Forum um, called New World Disorder. And it was, I found it really, really important. It was like, mm. yeah. Um, who else? Some local artists. I really like Astrid Ampersand. Same. <laughs> yeah, right. Her music is incredible and I found it very um, inspiring. Yeah. I think, I think you can find Astrid... 
I think and Astrid Facebook. has a Facebook page, Astrid and, I think. Yeah, and I think... And, and with, like, the and symbol. Yeah, and I think she has a SoundCloud yeah. page as well. Yeah. Listen to her music, it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. So, speaking more about writing and poetry, when do you remember performing or getting into writing first? Um, um, how did it start? Um, getting into writing, I think it was when I was in high school and um, I was like, I think I was starting to have like mental health issues and it, writing was my kind of coping mechanism and reading as well. And then from there I got into like philosophy and feminism and post-colonial theory and that kind of was a catalyst for my writing mm. and was then that, and what was that at school or like that was like university? in my last few years of high school at high school yeah um and then yeah I went to university I initially studied film but I took a I took a one creative writing subject and that became like my favorite so I dropped out of film and I studied writing instead and yeah I didn't start performing though until last year really um I used to write a lot and I still do sometimes with um Michaela Heinemann's guest one she's also an announcer on yeah Praying the Air <laughs> shout out, shout out to Fra- <laughs> Michaela Frankie yeah shout out to Frankie um and we did a performance for Next Wave Festival last year and that, I think that was like the first time ever I really performed and then, um, sorry, I'm like running through like my CV, but I think I owe a lot of my current work to Alterity Collective mm. um, because they they invited me to to read at their rituals exhibition late last year, and like the core idea for this this text that I'm talking about today was written for that performance. Mm, so yeah. yeah, thank you to Alterity Collective because that opportunity was really formative for me. Mm. Yeah, I remember that event mm. and yeah, it was like a really powerful performance. You were really well s- spoken. I remember it and like everyone was like very intently listening and <laughs> it was very dense and it was, <laughs> it was really good. Thank you. <laughs> um, at Alterity Collective, I think if you just put Alterity Collective in Facebook and that will come up and I mm-hmm. um, doing a lot of important work for queer and trans people of colour mm-hmm. um, so yeah um, so talking about like spoken word and written words so and you're only doing that recently so what's the kind of relationship with, between that because you have you book out, but you also perform. And, I mean, yeah, your poetry book out. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and <laughs> but you also performed it. So how does it relate? Um, does it like change a lot depending on how it sounds, how you remember it, um, like how it fits on a page? It's a lot of the form of the book is is quite a distinctive feature of how mm-hmm. it reads. Yeah, and the f- like. The way it's set out in the book definitely um, influences the way I read it out loud. 
But recently I vowed to never, like, never perform my poet like, this very specific kind of poetry of mine ever again. Just because I feel like it's not suited to live readings. I think it's so much more effective and better for whoever wants to read it, for them to be able to sit with it on the page Mm. and think about it. Um, I think sometimes even I get frustrated, like, at my own readings, but, like, at other poetry readings when, like, I don't, and not frustrated at the reader, but frustrated more at the idea that the reading is so fleeting and transient and I can't, I don't have time to like actually sit with it and absorb what they're saying. And I prefer to do that because I like trying to make sense of things. Um, so yeah, uh, the relationship between reading my, po- like reading my poetry out loud and writing it. I'm never reading it out loud again. Never? <laughs> Oh no, it's, it's that's that's sad breaking news here on here on Crania that she trans never reading their poetry again. Um in that live setting as you described it. Um <laughs> I think I'd be open to combining it with sound soundscapes. Um mm. yeah. But I before I perform again, I'm definitely gonna think about shifting the way I think about, you know, performing poetry and changing the way I do it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Soundscapes. Yeah, I've seen that done with a number of poets. Mm-hmm. And that can, like, change, like, the poem quite significantly. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what issues, if any, have you come across in developing your work? Um, well, for this specific work, any issues I had, I was really lucky because Incendium Radical Library, which is in Footscray, um, they were really, really supportive and, you know, were really encouraging and kind of opened Hmm. up any possibility for me in terms of content and how it was going to be printed, um... So I was very, very lucky in that I didn't have to worry about printing costs because they covered that with their fundraising money. Um, But in terms of developing it within, like, the actual writing of it, I think there are always... I always have personal issues, like, feeling stagnant and not feeling like I'm growing or expanding as much as I want to be. And I think um, that's quite a common experience for a lot of people, not just writers. And... Um, Another issue I have is I'm always kind of grappling with how to use my voice and the privilege that I, all the privileges that I have and how I can best um, channel those privileges in my work. I don't know if that makes sense, but Mm. yeah. yeah, I'm just think I think I always think about like my access to the many things and to the many people whose influence I want make up my work. So I don't like the idea of like sole author- authorship. I really don't believe that I wrote this thing on my own because um yeah. Mm. A lot of people have helped me write it, whether they know that or not. Um Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, yeah, this is like an important point. Mm. Um, on how writing, like, who influences, mm-hmm. um, each of us, I guess, and how mm-hmm. 
yeah, this kind of work comes out, this poetry work comes out, and it says this one person has done it, but it's like, like the lineages of like people you're standing on and like people that have informed your work aren't necessarily like on the front page like you might be. No, exactly. Yeah. And one last issue I just thought of is accessibility. Like I hate the idea of, (laughs) like I hate how inaccessible academia is, even though I like, you know, secretly love like critical theory and like I find it very nourishing creatively and um, psychically. But then, like, yeah, I hate I. I'm still trying to figure out a way f- to channel my interest in theory into my poetry without it being so dense. Like, I think this text is definitely not perfect, and I'm still working on how to make it more accessible. Yeah. Mm. Um. S- s- do you think your writing's changed a lot? Um, in terms of... Since since I started, or... Mm, yeah. Uh, definitely. Yeah, my writing used to be very, like, sentimental and nostalgic, and now it's more, um, kind of very straightforward, and I try not to use too much, too many adjectives. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Sparing use of adjectives. Yes. <laughs> Mm. So, yeah. So, also wondering if you have any, like, a recent fiction book you could recommend listeners or something that was, yeah, that's distinctive in your mind. Yeah. Um, you asked me this question before, and I really can't think of one. I, I honestly am a terrible reader, and I haven't read much at all lately. Um, but, there is one fiction book that is new-ish and I am looking forward to reading it if I can get a copy. It's by Hannah Black, um, who's a writer and artist I mentioned before. Um, and it's So it's co-written by Hannah Black and Juliana Huxtable. And it's I think it's like a sci-fi fictional um, science fiction slash theory kind of novel. Um, and I never read sci-fi, but I look up to those two so much that I really want to read it. I think it's called Life. Yeah. Hannah, Hannah Black and it's called Life? Yeah, Hannah Black and it's also by Juliana Huxtable. And Juliana Huxtable. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I can't really answer that question because I don't read a lot of fiction. Um, mm. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I have an answer. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> so, like a recent fiction book that I read that... I really liked was called Fierce Femmes and Notorious Liars, a Dangerous Trans Girls Confabulous Memoir by Kai Cheng. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, and, yeah, the rest of the surname, uh, I'm probably going to get wrong because it just cut off my page, so I can't. Um, but, yeah, it was a really good book. And um, this other podcast was called We Want... The Airways by Nia King. Um, she just she, like Nia King described it as like when a trans woman of color gets away with murdering a cop, as like a synopsis of the book. Mm. But a lot of the stuff goes in the book, and yeah, I guess there are a few, and it's published by Meta, 
Metonymy, I probably can't pronounce that very well, Metonymy Press, which is based in Canada Turtle Islands, and so I got it, um, so if you want to, like, read it, you, like, it isn't actually available in Australia, but I ordered, I, I emailed them and got, like, a digital copy, and you can email them and get one posted to you, but, <laughs> which would be good, <laughs> but it's a, a good book, and there's not many books that have been written like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. So I think she might be leaving us now, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Time to go. It's been really nice having you in the studio. Thank you so much thanks for having for, me. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. And and that's Spike, Spike Fuck with Guts. So you've been tuned into Queenie on 3CR Community Radio today. And it's time for me to go. I'm Iris and you were joined with Chi Tran earlier. And you can get their work from Incendium Radical Library at Hotshots Woodscray. And they have a WordPress. And if you look that up, you can find that. Um, tune in next week at the same time from 3 to 4. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>